hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. We often hear people in the community say, I have this great business idea. Then they followed up with, but I can't start it because of XYZ LMNOP. And that's simply not true. And that's why we're busting these limiting beliefs on today's show. You're listening to Queer Money episode number 484. And today we're interviewing Mark Cozy, the CEO and co-founder of The Bettering Company, to share why and how he launched a luxury edible company and how he secured $11 million in venture capitalist funding. Mark had a 35-year career in the finance sector, primarily focused on growth companies and startups. Mark then left Wall Street and founded Lior Energy, a privately held energy company. Today, Mark shares the good, the bad, and the ugly about launching and funding the bettering company, so maybe you too can launch your own venture and maybe come on the Queer Money Podcast to tell us about it. Now, on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. This week, we are... Excited to have someone on the podcast who has, well, we'll get into this in the conversation, but I think has kind of quote unquote made it. I think about CNBC and they have this, they have this make whole it. segment called making it or make it. And they talk about entrepreneurs have quote, who have quote unquote made it. And so today in our theme of talking more about how queer folks can make more money in their lives, we wanted to share with you the story of someone who has by outward appearances, quote unquote, made it in an industry that many of us are starting to see become more and more popular, but also to get venture capital funding, I think is in this industry is a very interesting topic. So Mark Cozy, welcome to the Queer Money Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, quite a pleasure. Definitely. So Mark, maybe because of the path that we're going to go with this conversation, I think it might be a good idea for you to maybe lay the foundation a little bit for our audience about your background, your background as maybe your family's history and entrepreneurship or yourself, school, all those kinds of things about how did you actually start your own company? Yeah. You know, looking back at my career, which is now 35 years plus or minus, I never thought 35 years ago I would start a business, much less in the cannabis sector. So it's been a long journey to get here. The majority of my background is in finance, and I've always had an interest in growth companies. So I began my career on Wall Street as an investment banker, and I had some very large company clients, but I really gravitated towards those that were emerging and growing. And I had the good fortune to take a number of companies public via IPOs. And that was such an exciting, liberating experience to help these founders raise capital and increase employment and investment and so on. And so eventually I left investment banking and a former client of mine who is a serial entrepreneur and a successful one asked me to join him as his CFO and his first employee 
in a natural gas energy business that he was starting. And we built it up and we sold it right before the market crashed in 2008. And better to be lucky than good. Yeah. Um, And we'll take, we'll take, we'll take luck for that. And then he set up a a family office in New York and I joined him and we were making private equity investments. And, and then in 2015, I decided I wanted to go out on my own and become an entrepreneur. And it has been the most difficult thing by far and away that I've done professionally. It is really hard but really challenging. And so that's when I began the exploration in general into entrepreneurship. Gotcha. So you said 35 years ago when you started your career, you didn't think you were going to become an entrepreneur or or found your own business. So does that suggest then that you didn't necessarily come from an entrepreneurial family that that was kind of in your DNA where people start their own businesses? Yeah, just the opposite. My dad worked for a company for, I don't know, 35 or 36 years. He was a middle management employee. He had the good fortune of working for a company that believed in equity ownership, employee equity ownership. And so he built up a nice equity stake along the way. And his company eventually went public. And I saw how working really hard and having equity ownership can be empowering. It certainly motivated him and provided, you know, a nice little nest egg for, you know, our family. That's that's fantastic. I'm glad that you got to see that along the way. That's we just several weeks back interviewed Arlen Hamilton. And I don't know if you're familiar with Arlen, but Arlen is is rocking the world of venture capital right now and raising money, especially with trying to help folks who are not quote unquote rich, accredited investors, people who have millions of dollars. She's actually going about it by crowdsourcing and and investing in small businesses. And we just read her book. And that's one of the things that she really, really drives home is this idea that as underestimated communities, whether we're a person of color, queer person, a woman, that this whole idea of ownership is one of the tools that we need to have to be able to keep up, let alone get ahead, right? For, mm-hmm. for many of us, we need to have some sort of ownership. And I'm, that whole idea of, of ownership in the company that you work for, I think we did an episode on employee stock purchase programs a while back. And I think when we did that, I think that at the time we found that 36% of companies in the S&P 500 offer some sort of way of purchasing stock for, of that company. So I'm glad that you're you're highlighting this that it's something that you saw and it's well, definitely and then the bettering company does offers that to your employees, right? Did I read that correctly on your website? Yeah, for sure. So all salaried employees participate in the equity stock ownership plan and the equity is granted and it vests over a four-year period, very standard middle of the road approach. And then for hourly employees, we are setting up a kind of I don't the term phantom equity sounds menacing to people, but it is it is a way that hourly employees can enjoy an appreciation in the value of the company and think of it as a bonus plan tied to equity ownership. And it is pretty powerful. Employees seem to really respond well to it. So in 2015, when you decided that you wanted to break out on your own and become an entrepreneur, where did you get those balls? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I think 
it was, you know, I had had a long career and um, doing a lot of very institutional finance. And it was kind of a an itch. It was kind of, you know, the thought that I want to try to build something on my own. I've seen other people do it, do it successfully and unsuccessfully. And I wanted to give it a go. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to kind of explore. Do you think that being a gay man hindered you from doing that or helped you in doing that? Or how did your the fact that you're a member of the LGBT community, do you think that had, a, had an impact on whether or not you wanted to become an entrepreneur? I thankfully and luckily never experienced any sort of negative views towards me because of being a, a gay man. And so I'm grateful for that. So it really didn't propel me or preclude me from from deciding to do this. It was just something that built over time. And I had seen, you know, the energy company have this fantastic growth led by someone else's vision. And so I, I really, really wanted to do this. And it was tough. And in the in the ensuing years, 2015, 16, 17, I made some investments along the way in startups, lost money in many of those startups. And that really led me to want to quote unquote own the checkbook own the story that if i were going to lose money at least it would be mostly my decisions as opposed to someone else's decisions yeah fair enough so you kind of it sounds like you sort of wanted to challenge yourself to see hey this is something that i can do i've seen people make mistakes i've seen people succeed let's see if i can apply what i've learned and, and see if i can make something of it myself that's right that's exactly right Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Then what attracted you to the what, what do we call it? The marijuana industry? Cannabis. Cannabis industry. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. It's it's like how squid has been rebranded calamari. <laughs> marijuana has been rebranded cannabis. And so I was in New York having dinner with two friends of mine, one of whom is an oncologist at Sloan Kettering. The other is a biology professor at NYU. My husband and I are very close friends with them. We actually went on their honeymoon a couple of years before then. And we sat down for dinner and we ordered wine. And Neil, who is the oncologist, said, you know, we should really think about consuming less alcohol. And we should think about consuming more cannabis because it's much friendlier to the human body. And that was a monster revelation for me. I had never really been a big cannabis consumer but I've always been focused on health and wellness and fitness and diet. And, and the oncologist's area of focus is the implications of diet and exercise on cancer, both preventing cancer as well as dealing with the treatment of it if, if unfortunately, you, you do come down with cancer. So Interesting. So you didn't have any sort of any, any of the IPOs that you launched 
and your background in finance and, and, and investment banking, you didn't really have a whole lot of experience in the cannabis industry prior to this dinner conversation? Not at all. I had absolutely none. And I knew that cannabis was becoming legal for medical purposes in Illinois. Illinois is my my hometown. Chicago is my hometown. And I was, however, spending most of my time in New York for work. And and so, no, I knew nothing. And then about three months after this dinner in New York, my husband works with someone whose wife is a master chocolatier. And she's been on Oprah's favorite things list twice for her um, (laughs) non-cannabis chocolates. Yeah. She's, She's an incredible person. And she, as a hobbyist, was taking her chocolates and infusing them with THC distillate. And these were the best chocolates, the best edibles I had ever had. And so it sort of was a combination of the health and wellness aspects of cannabis with something that's delicious. And so those two moments were were the catalyst for investigating the sector. Yeah. So why I think this is so important, and for our listeners and viewers who are watching and, and, and listening to this, I think so much of us get sort of caught up in what is my idea going to be? Well, I don't have a whole lot of experience in that. Well, I got to go back and get 25 degrees before I can even think about pursuing this kind of an industry. When it sounds like you're just like, all right, this sounds like a, an interesting idea. And then serendipity somewhat took over and it kind of almost sort of drew you to this idea. Yeah, for sure. And and so, you know, here I am with this idea and in really knowing nothing at all about the cannabis sector, I ended up hiring an intern so uh, about six months after the epiphany. And the intern who happens to be gay, I didn't know when I hired him, he and I began exploring dispensaries and products and people and ideas and eventually settled on entering the cannabis edibles space because edibles are really the least harmful way to ingest cannabis as opposed to vaping or or smoking. And we thought there was a lot of room for improvement in terms of product quality and packaging and branding. And so we began, it was actually now about seven years ago, the exploration of how to enter the cannabis sector. Yeah. I love how you just did that. Yeah. Yeah, John and I, so in a previous life, we used to live in Denver. And so we were there during the whole time period when medical came in and then went to recreational. We kept and- voting yes every time we had the opportunity. What's that? We kept <laughs> Thank voting <you>. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we did. Trailblazer. Um, <laughs> it is interesting to see, you know, so we've been around the industry or the industry in the in proximity to the industry for a long time and have seen this kind of maturation to a certain degree. I will be honest, folks, for those of you who are listening, I didn't know what to expect when Mark showed up for the interview, because we've talked to people who have worked in the cannabis industry and they look like they're they awake like they and bakers, the right? They wake up every morning and smoke their joint and <laughs> in fact, my old, maybe uh, take a shower. <laughs> my old college roommate, one of my, my oldest and best friends, he, he, he founded a medicinal marijuana company in Buena Vista, Colorado, and it was exclusively medicinal. And he just 
he had like this gorgeous room farm of plants at all different very various stages and i've just never seen bud that looks so beautiful but he looks like he works in the industry right, right. <laughs> but you don't not at all and i think that this is this is kind of interesting that you have kind of married two different aspects of life, right? One is a, a corporate and a experience and financial and understanding mm -hmm. how to run a business or how businesses run with uh, another interest in your life, obviously, which came about from this conversation. So for a lot of folks, when they think about starting a business, the first thing they think about is, okay, I'm just going to bootstrap this, right? I'm going to, I've got $250 and I'm going to figure out how to make that spread and so that I can start earning some money. And then they they really do bootstrap that. But that's not necessarily how you went about doing this. Is that the case? Yes, absolutely. I, I would say yes and no. I funded the company and the exploration myself. So I bootstrapped it from that standpoint. And I'm fortunate enough to have a number of friends who are very interested in the story and the sector and have known me for a long time, both personally and professionally. And they said repeatedly, you know, if and when you get an infuser license, please let us know because we would love to help out and or invest. And so my co-founder, Drake, to whom I alluded earlier, Drake Nickel, Drake and I wrote cannabis infuser application during shelter in place in <laughs> Illinois in spring of 2020. And hey, you think it's almost four years ago now, right? I would drive to his boyfriend's house. I would get Drake, take him back to my house. We would work on the application. I would drive him back home and we, it's like Groundhog Day doing this over and over and over again. And we finally submitted our application to the state of Illinois on April 4th of 2020. And then the state was very delayed in issuing licenses, about one year delayed, actually. Yeah, it makes sense. So we didn't receive our license. No one received their licenses for infusion until August of 2021. So it was wow. a long wait. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can yeah, see no, why you would have to self-fund if you're not, <laughs> you're not bringing any money and you've got all those... Uh, no. Yeah, that I think that's one of the things about a product business, a physical product business, is there is definitely some sort of investment that needs to happen up front to be able to produce the product. So why did you go down this path of luxury edibles? And and, and for, for folks who are listening, what well, maybe you can explain that a little bit. Sure. Luxury is is relative. So there are a lot of brands that are out there that are certainly very good and have served market needs for a number of years. But we felt that the world could use a product and, and, and wanted a product and would value a product that maybe did lots of things just a little bit better with a little bit more care and a little bit more thought. And, and that was our thesis. And it ranged from flavors. So we have, we launched six gummy skews in the fall and the flavors are unique. One is fennel fig, where we're using imported fig paste from Greece. We have a skew that is hibiscus chamomile thyme. Mm. And we're, we start not with plain water, but we brew vats of chamomile tea and use that as the base. 
We have a watermelon chili skew where we're using actual tahini chili flakes in there. And so really unique flavors. And we just introduced chocolates literally three weeks ago. And one skew is oat milk. And the other skew is Himalayan salt, dark chocolate. And these are vegan, organic, limited ingredients, fair trade, et cetera. So unique flavors, unique packaging. So one of our lead investors is Peter Rahal, co-founder of RX Bar. And we worked with the same boutique design firm to do our packaging that did RX Bar's packaging. Mm-hmm. So these are just a couple of our SKUs. Folks who are listening, he's showing us examples of these packages. And I'll say, John and I, you know, we scoured your your Instagram feed and we're taking a look at pictures and it definitely is elevated, right? And yeah, your advertising is on point. As our friend Tom would say, you've thrown some gay flair in here and <laughs> made cannabis a little bit more. Um, he said that to us. We um we just finished remodeling the bathroom, and we're, we're it's a we're it's for a, a rental, so we're not investing in the world's most uh, amount of money into it. Just trying to be pretty conservative. And he goes, "You can always tell when gays remodel a bathroom." <laughs> It's, there's just a little bit of extra something to it, even when you're trying to go on the cheaper end. For sure. The, the gays definitely do it better. There's no doubt. <laughs> right. So you've, you decided to, to move into this area of an elevated product, which is, it is interesting. You know, I kind of think about the trajectory of, of Apple, right? There was already an MP3, there were already multiple MP3 players out there, but then along comes this beautiful design and just a slightly elevated product and what did it, it turn it into a billion dollar company. And they kept on repeating that over and over and over again. And I kind of feel like you've kind of done something similar with the look and feel of your product. I don't know about the taste folks. I haven't tried it. So. It sounds good though. You're not yeah. supposed to get hungry until after you eat the cannabis, but I'm hungry just hearing <laughs> you talk about it. <laughs> so we already kind of talked about this whole idea of you doing a little bit of bootstrapping and and kind of maybe getting the foundation of this going yourself. What was it like or why did you feel the need to go out there and try to raise money? It's expensive to start a company and we wanted to do it in a very, I want to say the right way, but in a way that we could have a production facility that was state of the art in equipment that was the best equipment that we could use to make our products. Our products are our products are, are individually wrapped. And so we have a flow wrapper, which is wrapping the gummies. And it came from the UK, quasi custom designed. And our chocolates are individually fold wrapped. And the same UK based firm provided the fold wrap machine. And as you can imagine, using custom-made machines to do very intricate, specific tasks takes time and it takes money. And even designing the packaging, hiring a boutique firm to do that, creating a website that is unique, it all takes time and money and, and people. And so we started to hire people as well. Definitely. So you went out there, was your first, your first round of funding wasn't this larger chunk of money that you got, right? You started off, was your pitch to Peter Rahal, was that your first? No, it was probably around the fifth or sixth. Our other two lead investors remain 
anonymous because they are venture capital investors and they have a fund and they did not invest out of the fund in the bettering company, but they invested their personal funds. So they, and I've known both of these principals for 20 years. And so I spoke with them first and a couple of other friends first, and then the two other lead investors introduced us to Peter, who immediately got our story and immediately became helpful and has been helpful ever since. We're really grateful for that. That's that's a really good point, folks. If you are thinking about starting your own company and you know that you're not going to be able to completely bootstrap it yourself, probably one of the best places to start looking for funding sources is your network, right? Friends, mm-hmm. family, those people that are closest to you who may have an emotional investment as well in your business rather than just a financial investment and they want to see see you succeed not only because they want to see you financially succeed and they want to financially succeed, but also they want to celebrate with their friends and family, right? So, For sure. And that was definitely the case where people, friends had heard this story for so long and very much wanted this to succeed and, and be a part of it and felt that it was something very valuable from a societal standpoint. It was a confluence of very positive events. I'm curious about how you felt taking money from friends, family, and colleagues. Does that just like raise the anxiety and stress level like exponentially? Or how like can you describe that a little bit? Because I think a lot of I would have a I would just I have a knot in my stomach and my mom and dad loan us money for our business. Well, it's like, be- it's because, because it's your mom and dad. <laughs> What's that? Because it's your mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, they won't let us it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. And it is probably it's probably the most challenging part of this is being a steward of someone else's money and thinking about every single investment, you know, is this the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And in a startup, you don't always make the, I don't want to say, you don't make bad decisions. I sound like I'm a, in junior <laughs> kindergarten uh, where we do have a junior kindergartner in school, but, <laughs> but it's, you make mistakes in startups, no matter how, diligent and thoughtful and careful you are, mistakes happen. And so we're very transparent to investors when something is not going according to plan. And I tend to lead with that rather than with all the good things that are occurring. And thankfully, we, we just finished 2023 and I'm working on our newsletter to investors and friends and vendors and so on. And we have a long list of things that went well, and we're starting to work on a couple of things that didn't go according to plan. It's important to be realistic. And it's uh, it's also Honest. important to share that, you know, after watching things like the dropout and we the WeWork story, you, you kind of yeah. see what happens when people hide the bad stuff, right? Then it just goes to just goes to crap. But you get a documentary out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, was it, were you nervous when you approached your friends and family or especially this conversation with Peter Rahal that, I mean, he's, he's got a company that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and it's kind of, did you feel nervous going and saying, Hey, can you give us a few bucks? <laughs> Absolutely. And I still, we're about to actually launch another capital raise to fund growth opportunities in other states. And it's a great story. We think it's a great, attractive investment. But nonetheless, every time you, every time I speak with 
a potential investor, you know, I'm always like, okay, it's, it's game time. And yeah, for sure. I still have the same amount of anxiety. I would too. So what suggestions would you have for our listeners and viewers who realize that they probably can't grow their business their, their, their sprout their business idea to the degree that they would like to with just the few hundred or a few thousand dollars that they have? If they want to go out and solicit for friends and family or even go down the VC route, what sort of suggestions would you have them to help make that a little bit more of a amenable experience? Yeah, I would say, you know, the theme we were touching on before about using your network and starting with that, I think that's really important. And then telling a story your vision with clarity and purpose and realism and enthusiasm. And, you know, it's a story and tell it and own it. Definitely. When you do get funding, what is it like? I mean, I I think for a lot of folks, you know, especially Vegas, right. I I think for a lot of folks when they think, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to share the title of this episode, how I landed, you know, $11 million in VC funding. A lot of people would feel like they just hit the jackpot in Vegas or just won the lottery or what, you know, whatever. Is that what it feels like all of a sudden, you know, your flesh was cash and now you're wheeling and dealing or you're a, a big spender. Is that how that feels? Unfortunately not. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe when we when we sell this company someday, then we'll feel more like we fit the jackpot. But it's we're so focused on investing in the business and being as wise as we can with every dollar. And and so it's like great, fantastic. You know, we closed the financing, we closed the round, but now we're right back focused on business. And raising capital is a distraction. And I'd rather focus on the business. Than raising capital, that's that's interesting. interesting. I, I, I could see how, yeah, because yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It probably, it probably takes a lot of energy and a lot of work to raise the funding, but that all the time that you're doing that, the business isn't being nurtured and growing. So I, that's interesting. Maybe talk a little bit about how that feeling of responsibility is that when you get that amount of money, whether you're getting five hundred dollars from your parents or five million dollars from an outside investor. What's the kind of, how should we feel about that when we get that kind of money? Grateful and nervous as can be. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I can't stress how nerve wracking it is because people are trusting you and they want their money back and they want a return on their money. And so, yeah, it's sort of like slamming on the accelerator with the emergency brake on you're related but then you're like terrified simultaneously right because it isn't you just won the lottery or you just got a windfall of money really you have a commitment to these individuals to try to help their money to grow whether it's your parents who lent you five hundred dollars and they need that five hundred dollars back or it's a venture capitalist fund that's investing people's retirement money and they need that money to live on in retirement. That money is coming from more often than not sources where those individuals want or need that money to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How did it change your view of your business when you saw that you were able to bring in this much money? I think what it did do was it was a bit of a validation, I suppose, that all the years of working really hard and having this vision would attract people to that vision and willing and willing to invest their cold hard dollars. And so I would say that was hitting the jackpot was the validation, the emotional and professional validation. 
Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. So many of us, you know, we all, we all come up with, well, I do, especially John will, John will complain about this, but I just idea after idea, after idea, you know, I think about ideas all the time and you say, uh, you know, every idea is worth a million dollars, but when you actually land a million or $11 million for your idea and to turn your idea into reality, that is really just that I can imagine the enthusiasm and excitement because then you do actually are able to move forward. So what is in the future for the bettering company? What does the, the next couple of years oh, look? Give us the think? insider information. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any insider information, thankfully. So uh, <laughs> it's to do a couple of different things. One is, as I mentioned, we've we've really only been in the market since October but we're getting instantaneous feedback. I spent a lot of time in dispensaries and meeting with sales folks and GMs of dispensaries and dispensary owners. And so we're launching new SKUs and new flavors. We haven't kicked off this promotion yet, but it it will be kicked off soon. So we're going to start, we're so prideful that we're going to start Pride Month a month early. So we're going to start Pride Month on May 1st. And we have two very cool. I think they're very cool. Hopefully the market thinks that (laughs) um, products that are pride focused. And and so we want to do a bunch of PR around those SKUs. And we tried to get a float in the pride parade in Chicago. We could not. It's very difficult to get a float. If you know how, please let me know if somebody is listening. (laughs) Well, well, I will say the Chicago metro area is one of our highest ranking areas for downloads of our podcast. So folks, if you're in the Chicago area and you want to help Mark out, let reach out. We'll connect that. <laughs> yeah. Um, great to have a float. Yeah. So new SKUs, new packaging size, the packaging that I showed you earlier, this is a five piece pack. We launched with 20 piece packs and got feedback that 10 piece packs, five piece packs, sample packs would be helpful in the market. We are in development with six new flavors that will roll out over the course of the next 12 months. I alluded to our chocolates and we have a couple of other edible form factors that we're uh, going to roll out as well, probably in about six to nine months. So that's, that's in Illinois. And then we very much want to go into New Jersey, which is a nascent market. And so we're looking for a partner in New Jersey, and I'm going to be in New York and New Jersey next week. New York is our third target state. And so we really want to go state by state, the very methodical growth rate. And then we're launching next week, CBD only gummies that we're going to sell in, in the Chicagoland area, in Foxtrot stores, Dom's markets, and on GoPuff. And so those will be the three retail distribution channels for CBD only products. Gotcha. Right on. Go puff. Yeah. I was I was gonna ask that that question about distribution because you are only it is very state specific, right? I mean, we just we live in Ohio yeah. and Ohio just passed right. recreational, but it's so funny we because we haven't purchased any marijuana or any infused stuff to yet. 
we're waiting until it actually goes into effect. <laughs> There's just a flood of people who always go to, over the border into Michigan because yeah. Michigan's had had recreational for a we're long time. Standing there scolding them. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you only have your product available in Chicago right now, but it will eventually that's your goal is to move to other states, right? Yeah, in in Ohio actually is one of our target states as well. I have many many friends in Ohio. And wherever we're going, we want to have someone in the state whom we know and like and trust who can be the local partner. And so I, I know a slew of people in Ohio. And so we think that's a would be a great state. Yeah. Awesome. Ohio needs it. Have to survive JD Vance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to chill out some of the people here, especially the C B D stuff. Get that in, into some people's bloodstreams. And so how can our audiences uh, connect with the bettering company online on social media and keep track of everything and, and find out when it's going to be in their state. For sure. So we're, uh, we're on Instagram. That's bettering. Our website is that's bettering.com. We're not going to be in the parade, so you won't connect with us there, but <laughs> we're actually in discussion. So as we're up and running, we don't have a lot of cash to contribute to charitable organizations, but we have our time and our enthusiasm and so we're working on a partnership in Chicago with an LGBTQ organization and in Rockford. We haven't decided what organization yet with which to partner, but so you'll you'll see us in the community. Well, let's dive into that before we wrap things up real quick. I, I thought it was very interesting on your website, how you talk about the mission of the company and how you chose the name, The Bettering Company. Could you mind sharing that, what the impetus was that with our listeners? Yeah. So we agonized over what to call ourselves. And this was one of the hardest decisions. And Drake, my co-founder, and I solicited input from anyone and everyone. And eventually we landed on the bettering company with the core being bettering. And our view is we should be, okay, fine, bettering edibles, but bettering the planet and bettering communities and bettering society and bettering ourselves. And it's a mission that will go on long after we're gone. And so we can better and just bettering in little different ways make a real impact. Yeah. Nice. And it, it is important to remember that for-profit companies can do a lot of good in the world oh, yeah. when they are looking at how to be better for everyone, not just their shareholders. So thank you. Appreciate that. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining us for the Queer Money Podcast. We really appreciate and hearing your story and uh, learning more about you and your company and the process that you went through. Folks, remember to join the newsletter if you haven't already and you want to be able to connect with Mark or hear more about his products and services. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing this for the community. It is really important. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Mark, for a great interview. Your story is very inspirational to us in the community. 
Plus, you're doing excellent work in helping make the world a better place, and we appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us for another episode. This week's newsletter will include your career money takeaway from this episode and your tip for reaching financial independence faster. Join us this Thursday when we share the top 10 affordable LGBTQ plus friendly cities so far, part two, the second half of the 25 states that we looked at, as well as next Tuesday when we share how social security payments are affected by taxes when you live in the U.S. as well as when you live outside the U.S. Have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.